listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Mission Church. So glad you're here this morning. Really nice to see all your bright and shiny faces. My apologies for my my late entrance, my computer decided I didn't need a thousand words of my message today, so, so that was pretty awesome. Um, but um, so yeah, so it's, uh, it's been a, an interesting morning, but man, I prayed that the Lord would anoint Tim to lead us in worship this morning, and I just, I just sensed the tenderness of his heart in that worship. I don't know if you could too, but just thank you, Tim, for leading us so well wherever you are. I don't see you. But, um, <laughs> Awesome. Well, um, we're in a series right now called Come and Rest, but before I get into any of that, I want to tell you about my first car. Anybody have a really cool first car? Eddie? 65 Mustang. Mark? VW Bus. Jeff? Whoa, 66 El Camino. Well, uh, Rich. Nice, very cool. Well, my first car uh, I thought was cool, but it's not nearly as cool as any of those. So uh, my first car growing up was a blue uh, 93 Isuzu Trooper. Anybody ever remember those? Daryl, yeah. That's right, yeah, a Zuzu Trooper, and I had it for about two years, and I think it ran for about six months of that two years, <laughs> honestly, and uh, I had a sick tape deck in it, and I had a, it, it was like an SUV, so it had a storage compartment in the back with a door that opened and stuff, and, and it, so it didn't really have a trunk, but I had like a box of speakers in there, you know, like young, young folks do, and, and uh and I even had a hula girl on the dashboard. I mean, this thing was awesome, right? I thought I was so cool when it was running. I thought it was cool, right? And uh, I actually, my mom, I was going to show you guys a picture. Uh, my mom posted a while back a picture of me laying down in the back, like pointing at the box of speakers, like, you know, like all tough, you know, like a high school teenager and stuff. And, and then I realized it was way too embarrassing to show you, so I did not do it. But um, so I let, I let it be. <laughs> but uh, when I first got it, I didn't know how to drive stick shift because both my parents had automatic cars, right? And, and uh, so I didn't, I didn't know how to drive stick shift. And my dad spent tons and tons of hours trying to teach me how to drive stick shift and use the clutch and the gears, but honestly, I don't think he knew what he was doing either. I mean, I, I'm, that's for real. <laughs> like, I think if he knew what he was doing, it wouldn't have taken hours and hours and hours. But, but uh, probably for two weeks, I would put the, gear, the car in gear and I would release the clutch and put on the gas. And every time the result was the same. What was it? Thunk. Right, it stalled out, right? And I just couldn't, like my dad would just be like, okay, we'll just let off the clutch and push on the gas. And I'm like, that's what I'm doing, you know? And I just would be so frustrated. And after a lot of weeks of, of total failure, I decided to try something different on my own the next time we went uh, driving. Um, I was thinking like, what if I, what if the clutch and the gas need to be pressed and released gradually at the same time, right? Like this thought never occurred to me or occurred to my dad, apparently. And, uh, and so, I, so I, I gave it a try and it worked, right? I was just like, I was cruising the neighborhood in no time, right? Like, you know, I, I mean, I was cruising. And uh, uh, the trouble was that I was thinking about driving stick shift in terms of all or nothing. Like I thought it was all clutch or all gas. But really there was like this, this like very delicate kind of interweaving of the two, right? And, and uh, you, like I, I had um, 
I was always just letting go of the clutch and pushing the gas, and, but, in, but in actuality, it was a very delicate like give and take, right? And uh, what's funny is that's not the only time I learned that lesson um, in the realm of driving. Um, I, uh, <laughs> as I began to drive more and learn how to share the road with other drivers, right? Um, I, I, I kind of kept that all or nothing mentality, right? Like I, like I, um, I, I cr- it kept creeping in and, and I, would, I would either floor it and then stomp on the brakes. Like that's how I would drive. Like I would drive as fast as I could and then screech on the brakes, right? And uh, I remember the freedom of driving my Zuzu Trooper around. I was so like, I, I just felt like it was awesome and my car was awesome and, and I would gun it and leave skid marks in the school parking lot to impress girls and uh, they weren't impressed. Um, in those early days of driving, it was, it was just all or nothing, right? And yeah, I was all pedal to the metal or screeching to a halt all the time. And I, I was definitely one of those drivers right now that I like want to cuss at on the road um, that, that annoy me now as an adult. And uh, like, you know, the kind of driver that speeds up to get around you, but then they don't realize that there's a light right in front of you. So then they have to pump the brakes like 15 times to slow down. And I mean, that was me when I was a kid. I was just that annoying all or nothing gas or brakes driver. And, and as I drove more and more and grew up and matured a little, right? Because that's part of the process. I realized that driving doesn't have to be all or nothing. You know, sometimes, sometimes if you're going too fast and you need to slow down a bit, you can just let off the gas. You don't even have to touch the brake. And you'll slow down gradually and smoothly, right? And, and, uh, and if you're paying attention to what you're doing, you can just, you know, coast for a few seconds. And that'll put you right where you need to be, smoothly, right? And um, I, uh, I, it took, I, admittedly, it took me longer than it should have to realize that. Um, and it, it's not a rapid slowdown, it's a gradual slowdown, smooth enough to stay in the flow of traffic and be where you need to be, right? And uh, finding places to let off the gas and coast a little while instead of slamming on the brakes is a completely perfect metaphor for my life, pretty much. <laughs> like uh, one of the biggest struggles in my life uh, because, it's, because this, this, this rhythm of letting off the gas and coasting a little bit or, or knowing when to apply the brakes, it's, it's a rhythm. It, and knowing when to push hard, right? To push through, to push hard and when to stop pushing and coast a little while or to stop pushing and coast a little while, even when, when you, knowing when to kick it into high gear and when to apply the brakes, like there's a place for it all, but the knowing when to do it is the key, right? And, and if we live our lives in an all or nothing, always in high gear, always slamming on the brakes, either or, eventually we're headed for a big burnout right? Because you can only do that for so long. And uh, I just, I, I think this pedal to the metal slamming on the brakes is a, is a great picture of what a lot of people experience in serving in the church. And unfortunately, I think the church worldwide, you know, not every church or whatever, but a lot of churches are guilty of ignoring uh, and allowing people to continue serving when they're not in a place physically, mentally, spiritually to continue serving on. A lot of churches are guilty of just letting it go and ignoring it because they need the person to keep doing what they're doing. Anybody felt that? Right. And so 
unfortunately, the church, when they do that, not only do they burn people out, and and nine times out of ten, the people end up leaving the church just so they can get a break, right? Is that true? Unfortunately, not only does that happen, but they confuse people about what God really wants from them and wants for them, right? And so, so much of our life with God is, isn't about a destination. It's not about arriving, right? It's about uh, the journey with God, being in relationship with God through the journey. And the trouble is, is that our journeys with God are not confined to a straight line, right? We see all of the peaks and valleys on our journey with God, right? We see mountaintop victories and the valley of defeat. Any, any believers believe that to be true? Like when you're on a journey with God, do you see mountaintops like peaks and valleys in your walk with God in your relationship? If that's true, just raise your hand. Yeah, okay, hands all over the room. And, but yet, if I asked many of you if you had a plan for when you hit an unexpected valley, I bet a lot of you wouldn't. I know I don't. I mean, I didn't until this message, right? <laughs> right? And, um, and so it's so important that if we know, if we know that on our journeys with God, we're going to experience peaks and valleys, we need to be prepared for both. Right? We need to be prepared in the way that God wants us to be prepared for both. And I think sometimes it's a, it's a great, greatly overlooked thing to be prepared for, the, for when the valleys come. Right, And uh, Elijah's journey with God was unlike anyone else's, but even he fell victim to burnout. Right? And, uh, but God revived Elijah, and the steps he used still apply to us today. Um, we're in a series right now called uh, Come and Rest, and, and our church has just found this rhythm that in July, we find that we need the reminder uh, to rest. We need a reminder to take seriously the simple things, Right? We need the reminder to uh, take care of ourselves not only physically, but spiritually. And so we've just, in the last few years, we've dedicated July to the topic of reminding us that we need rest. We need to rest. And, and, um, and so I just think part of rest get finding a healthy rest finding a healthy rhythm of rest uh involves knowing how to avoid burnout and knowing what to do when you're beginning to feel burned out and um and so this message is is uh is if i wrote a title it would be called finding rest in the midst of burnout and um and my wife actually said, are you sure you're qualified to preach that message? Like, <laughs> I don't know if you should be sharing on burnout, <laughs> you know? And I was just like, well, I have the most experience with it probably, so no, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm very experienced with it, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but so when we find Elijah, Elijah, I have to admit, is like a legend to me. He, I, he's one of my favorite people in the Bible. Uh, he's so bold and so courageous, and he has so much faith in God, and yet he's totally fallible. He's, ju- he's just a man, 
right? He's just a man. And God does all these incredible things through him, and yet he's still just a man and he's fallible. And I just love that about Elijah. At, um, we're going to be looking at uh, the text in uh, 1 Kings 19. Uh, I want to back up and give you a little bit of setup, though, before we, before we go into the scriptures, though. Um, Israel, after the death of Solomon, had been divided into two kingdoms, uh, Judah and Israel. And um, Israel, the kingdom of Israel, had had a long line of evil kings, and and Ahab and Jezebel were um, some of the most evil. They did the most to provoke God, and they led a lot of people uh, uh, from Israel into Baal worship. Baal is a false god, and uh, it really... um, just counter, completely countercultural to our God, Yahweh, the one true God. And uh, Baal was believed to have authority over uh, many things like the sun and storms that like brought rain for crops and stuff like that, and, and, uh, and also fertility. And Baal was, um, Baal worship was violent and cruel, and completely immoral. Uh, It it included, uh, like, loud screaming and chanting and and self-mutilation, like, people who were worshiping Baal would often like cut themselves, right? And uh, it involved ritualistic prostitution in the temples. And this is, I mean, if that wasn't bad enough, it it also involved human sacrifice, right? Uh, Usually the person who was making the sacrifice is firstborn. Can you imagine that? How much countercultural can you get from the God Yahweh? The first way God used Elijah to combat the Baal worshipers was he caused a drought in Israel, and, and, uh, and Eli- he sends Elijah to, to Ahab, the king at the time, uh, not the one who fought the whale, um, but uh, the king, and uh, Elijah goes to him and says, uh, there will, because of your worship, there will be no more rain until the Lord says so. And uh, the Lord causes this drought, and the drought lasts three years, and Israel's crops fail, their livestock is perishing, um, and throughout this whole time, God took care of Elijah. He provided for him. He sent Elijah off into hiding and, uh, and provided food and water for him, and, and eventually did some really incredible miracles through Elijah. You can read about that in 1 Kings 18. But uh, the drought didn't seem to phase the Baal worshipers. The Baal worshipers just continued. They kept doing their worship, hoping that Baal would send a storm to bring the rain. And, and so Elijah returns to Israel and confronts the king and Baal worshipers in one of the most epic showdowns there ever was in the Bible. And I'm just going to summarize it briefly for you. Um, so Elijah comes back to Israel and says to Ahab, gather up all of Israel and meet me on the mountain. We're going to have like a God showdown basically right now. So gather up all of the Baal prophets and, uh, and have them build an altar and make a sacrifice and... Um, and but don't put any fire on the altar because who uh, let let our gods provide the fire right and so all of Israel gathers round and the Baal prophets gather round and they build this altar and um, they put the wood and they make the sacrifice and and then they begin they're screaming and they're chanting and they're slashing themselves right they're doing all these things to try to call down fire from Baal to the sacrifice right and hours go by hours and hours and hours and eventually it's so long that Elijah starts taunting them right? Like, no doubt. Like, this is maybe one of my favorite things in the Bible. Um, it says, he, he says things like, oh, maybe, you're, maybe Baal is asleep. 
it literally says maybe Baal is relieving himself, right? Elijah just starts taunting him, right? And, and hours and hours and hours go by. Finally, it's, it's evening and uh, nothing, right? They're all slashed up. There's blood everywhere that through their uh, sacrifice, the altar that they built is all torn to shreds, but no fire, no fire. And so Elijah steps in and, and uh, he repairs the altar, right? He, he brings uh, 12 stones that represent the 12 tribes and he rebuilds the altar and he uh, puts the sacrifice on the altar and he lays the wood and, and uh, he, he makes it all right. And then he says, then he actually digs a trench around the altar, right? And so then he tells uh, the people around, go fill a bunch of big jars of water and then just dump it on the wood in the altar. And so they're like, uh, okay, <laughs> right? And so they go do it again. He says, okay, go, go do it a second time. So they do dump all the water all over the wood. Anybody know anything about wet wood trying to light it on fire? <laughs> not fun, not fun, lots of smoke, no fire, right? And um, so it, it eventually gets to the point, they, do, they, they dump this water, these jars of water on the wood three more times, three times total rather. And uh, the wood is soaked, the altar is soaked, the offering is soaked, and the trench around the altar is full of water, right? Now, now look what happens. Let's turn to, um, let's see, First Kings 19, or 18, rather. Um, Eighteen thirty through 39. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. He repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the 12 tribes of, uh, of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be my name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seas of seeds. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the And around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. This is where it gets good. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. That's one of my favorite accounts in the whole Bible, Elijah's faith. But here's the thing. That was definitely a peak for Elijah. That was definitely a mountaintop moment for Elijah, right? Um, later on in the chapter 18, uh, Elijah goes off to Ahab and says, uh, the Lord says, uh, I hear the sound of rain coming. Remember, there's been a drought for a really long time, and he 
lays down on the ground and puts his head between his knees and he begins to pray. And after he prays, he sends a servant over and over again to see, has the rain come? Has the rain come? About the seventh time, the clouds started to change and rain came. And another mountaintop experience, whenever you see the Lord miraculously move, it it, it has got to fill you with such excitement and joy and faith, right? And then, so what happens next after that? We've seen Elijah, Elijah, God has performed miracles through Elijah. He brought someone back to life. He um, uh, made a flour jar and an oil jar never run out after, after lots and lots and lots of uses. He uh, brought down fire from the sky. He brought rain, all uh, rain to show that God, Yahweh, controls the rain, not Baal, right? All of this is for God's glory, and it's so good, but it's mountaintop experiences. So, so what happens next in the story? Ahab runs and tells Jezebel what had happened. See, after the Baal prophets had been um, proven false, Elijah and some of his friends take out the Baal prophets. They kill him. And uh, so Ahab runs and tells Jezebel what Elijah did in, uh, to the Baal prophets. And uh, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say this. And this is in uh, ni- uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 2. So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, by this time tomorrow. Jezebel threatens Elijah's life, right? And, it, and it's a threat, right? It's not, it's not an eminent thing because it, she sent a messenger, not an assassin, right? She's proved that she's willing to uh, pull strings to kill people, right? Because she killed prophets of, uh, of God, Yahweh, right? But here she's making a threat, It's not even like he's dodging arrows. It's words, right? And this sends Elijah running. Does that make sense to anyone? Look at the experiences he has just had. Fire from the mountain, or or fire on the altar, rather. Rain. Miracle after miracle. All for God's glory. And this threat sends him running. I don't know about you, but sometimes in my own life, when we've experienced very high peaks in our, in our spiritual life or in our church or whatever, the lows have caught me off guard because I wasn't prepared, right? And uh, so this, this threat from Jezebel catches Elijah off guard and it sends him running. And so um, first, first Kings 19, one through four, let's just read that. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went on days, days journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die. 
saying, it's enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Does that moment resonate with anybody but me? It really resonates. Um, so Elijah is, is, is having a meltdown here. He's having, a, uh, he's having an encounter with burnout. And so I want to review six signs of burnout that we can see in Elijah's life. Um, and the first one, uh, you may be able to guess right off the bat in verse 3, it says Elijah became afraid. So the first sign of burnout is that you're reacting illogically to fear. And I say illogically because you knew, Elijah had just seen every miracle the Lord had done. He knew that he had no reason to be afraid. And yet, he was afraid. Right? Reacting in fear is the first sign of burnout. And then part number two goes right along with it. And he ran away. And he ran away. Elijah reacted in fear and chose to run back into hiding. Right? He just spent a long time in hiding, and he, he chose this time to run back into hiding. Running away. What are you running away from today? Is there something in your life that has you all tied up in knots about it? And you're just like, I can't face it another day. I just don't even want to deal with it. I don't even want to see it anymore. I don't want to hear one more word about it. In fact, I'm just going to go the other way. Is there something in your life like that? Number three, desiring isolation. Elijah left his guy, this guy who had been with him for a long time, his ally in Beersheba, and he went on without him. Desiring isolation. That's a tough one for me, honestly, because sometimes I just want to be alone with the Lord to regain my thoughts, and I want to be, um, you know, I don't want to, I'm an introvert, and so lots of times I use that as an excuse, you know, because, um, you know, being uh, engaged with people is just exhausting for me, and, uh, but isolation is different than that, I think. Isolation is a choice where you choose to separate yourself from those who love and care about you. And isolation, I'm going to tell you, church, I've said it for years, and I'm not going to stop saying it anytime soon. Isolation is one of the enemy's most effective tools to get a foothold in your life. Because when you're alone with your thoughts, the enemy can influence your thoughts. And you don't have anyone to call out lies and truth in your life. So isolation, that's step three. Desiring to be alone, away from the ones you care about and care about you. Number four, bad decision making. In verse four, Elijah went on uh, another full day into the wilderness without his, his guy. Does that seem like a good decision to you? Like he went on alone, right? Sometimes when we're in a place of burnout, uh, I know I've, I've been, when I've been in that place, I can't make a good decision to save my life. Is, is that you? Do you have someone like that in your family? Like where there are decisions being made that are clouded, right? Right? 
can't see clearly when you're in the midst of burnout. And so it leads to bad decision-making. And number five, in verse four, um, when Elijah finally says something to the Lord, he says it with, a, with just like a completely pessimistic attitude, right? Uh, his work feels pointless, and he's, he's constantly complaining, and he's feeling bad about himself, and he said... Um, He said, it is enough now, Lord. Take away my life, and I'm no better than my father. I'm no better than my father. He's got this, this downer thing going on. It's another sign of burnout. And number six, he wants to give up and quit. And in Elijah's case, he doesn't want to just quit. He wants to die. He doesn't want to just not be a prophet anymore. He, he doesn't just not want to be in relationship with God anymore. He doesn't want to have to deal with the Israelite people anymore. It's not that. He just is tired and wants to be done, and he just is ready for it to be over. Now, I just want to pause with the Elijah story for a moment and just say, if that's where you're at right now, if you feel like, if you're even entertaining a slight flutter of a thought that death might bring you relief, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't choose that path. Do not make a big decision like that when you are in the midst of depression and burnout and anxiety. You need to get to someone to talk to immediately. Whether it's a friend or a counselor or me or your spouse, do not take your own life because you're not thinking clearly. Burnout is clouding your decision making. We have all kinds of resources that we would love to help you with. And so if, it's, if, if that's you and where you're at, please, I beg you, talk to someone. So Elijah says to the Lord, it's enough. But God cared for Elijah. And he wasn't finished with him yet, right? Just like if you're entertaining those thoughts, God is not finished with you yet. There are those who love you. We love you. Even if it's your first Sunday, when you set foot in the door, your family, okay? We love you. Don't entertain those thoughts. Go talk to somebody because God wasn't finished with Elijah and he's not finished with you. God brought revival back into Elijah's heart and mind. And the way God did it holds valuable insight into coming back from burnout in our own lives. And I believe it can be summarized into three, maybe maybe a bonus step. I think maybe four steps. Let's take a look at how God revives Elijah in 1 Kings 19, 4 through 8. This is how God brings revival to Elijah in, in the midst of burnout. In verse 4 it says, I'm just going to backtrack just a, a minute. But he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, this is Elijah, and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. 
And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. See, step number one in how God combats burnout in Elijah's life is rest. Rest. He takes care of his physical needs. He, he feeds Elijah. He gives him water and he lets him sleep. Rick Warren, I've, I've heard Rick Warren say this a couple of times. He said, one of the most spiritual things you can do is take a nap. I'm really spiritual in that way. Sometimes your body just needs sleep, and it's okay. Sometimes your body just needs some healthy food. Maybe all the time. I don't know. It depends on who you talk to. <laughs> Sometimes your body needs something simple like water instead of a double mocha pump frappuccino with oat milk. <laughs> a constant battle I have with myself is... I don't need one more cup of coffee. I just need to drink some water. I should drink some water. No, but I'm tired. I'm going to drink some coffee. No, I should drink water. That's a constant battle I have with myself. But taking care of your physical needs means a revival of the simple things. A good night's rest. Feeding yourself with healthy food. And drinking water. This is, this is the beginning of how God deals with Elijah's burnout. This, this is, is the first step that, to bringing God, uh, to bringing, for God bringing Elijah back. My friend Nate says that lots of times we want uh, a revival in the church, but for Elijah, the revival was in the food. Let's continue on. Verse 9 through 18. So Elijah went 40 days and 40 nights in, in the power of the food that the Lord gave him. And he comes to, it says Horeb, but it's the same mountain as Sinai that Moses was on in it. And uh, it's just a different, different name. And, and uh, in verse 9 it says, There he came to a cave, and lodged it and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Let's just pause right there for a second and just say, whenever God asks a question, he already knows the answer. Right? He already knows the answer. Uh, let's continue. He said, I this is Elijah speaking, I have been jealous for the Lord. The God of, of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. My work is pointless, God. I'm the only one who cares about you, and now they want to kill me. And God said this, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord 
was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, here's the question again, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been, he goes into his speech again. I think the Lord was hoping that his answer would be different, but he knew that it wouldn't be. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenants, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets. For with the sword, and I even, I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king of Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, say it with confidence, right? You shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shapat, of, man, I really should have, listened to that word. (laughs) Uh, You shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. See, I think what's going on here, step number two in combating burnout, is the Lord allows Elijah to get out his frustration. The Lord knows why he's there. The Lord knows why he ran away. The Lord knows why he's afraid. He, he He doesn't really have to answer that question to the Lord, but the but God allowed Elijah to get it out, right? So step number two in fighting burnout is release. Let your frustration out, honestly. And I would encourage you to spend some time letting it out with God and letting it out with a friend that is trusted. God is not afraid of anything you have to say. It's not gonna challenge him because he's God right? A trusted friend is going to be with you no matter what. Just like Jody said. So you have got to let out your frustration, even if you know you're not in your right thinking. You don't have to candy coat it with God. You have to just get it out. God allowed Elijah to get out. Get it out. And number three in fighting burnout, God refocuses Elijah. What's his response to Elijah's prepared speech? I'm the only one. I'm the only one. They want to kill me. You know, he wasn't the only one. God said there was at least 7,000 people who had not bent their knees to Baal. He wasn't alone. His judgment and decision-making and thinking was clouded by burnout, right? So God, what does he do? He gives him a job to do. He refocuses Elijah. God's response to Elijah was to refocus him. See, I think that's actually what the wind and the earthquake and the fire and the whisper was all about. It, it is, I think God was reminding Elijah who he was, but that he also doesn't always have to act in flashy miracles. The actual translation, the literal translation of, uh, of the whisper is a thin silence. God spoke to Elijah seemingly in the sound of sheer silence. 
And it may seem weird that this guy's coming to God with burnout and God gives him a job to do. God refocuses him into another job. And I think where the refocusing comes in for us is, God, how can we align ourselves with your will? I believe I've gone astray from your will because I've pushed too hard in my own strength for too long. What is your will for me in my life? What would you will me to do? Refocusing on God's will. That's what God is doing for Elijah here. He is refocusing Elijah onto God's will. And it may not seem like much. He sends him to anoint some dudes and to pick his replacement, right? But through these quiet steps, this would lead to the final victory over Baal worship. These people, these, these people who God sent Elijah to anoint. So God was achieving his purpose. He was achieving his will. He just wasn't doing it in a flashy way. And so God was using this job to refocus Elijah onto his will, right? And I told you I thought there was a bonus, bonus uh, step in uh, fighting burnout. And, and I believe number four is uh, remember. Renew your mind and hope. Renew your mind and hope. The Romans 12, 2 says this, do not conform to this world by the transform, uh, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. And there's another prophet named Jeremiah who had kind of a... Uh, a pessimistic attitude a lot of times towards God. And, and he, he, there's this verse, I, I really think, it, write down this verse, highlight it in your phone, put it on a note card, put it on your mirror at home. Um, I don't know, do something to make it stand out because this is how we renew our minds in hope. It's Lamentations 3, 14 through 24. I'm actually going to start at 14, but the part you probably want to highlight is later on. But lamentations, this is Jeremiah speaking. Lamentations, by the way, means complaint. Like, it's a book of complaints, basically. But 14 says, I have, this is Jeremiah talking to God. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness and he has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. I have forgotten what happiness is. I feel like that's for someone here today. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. That's for someone today. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. And this is the part, verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Renewing your mind in hope. 
the steadfast love of the Lord, the new mercies every day of the Lord, the great faithfulness of the Lord, and that the Lord is enough. That's the fourth step in in, uh, fighting burnout. So we have rest, release, refocus, and remember. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. Um, I was having a pretty crappy day on Friday. I was down in the dumps. I was, the world, the weight of the world was on my shoulders, right? And uh, it wasn't really, but I felt like it was. My wife is really good at pointing that out. Um, <laughs> but I, I did a couple things. I, I got a good night's sleep. I ate breakfast, which I almost never do. Went and played basketball with some of my friends. And I came home feeling infinitely better. Infinitely better. Because there's something about community. I didn't even talk about my day that I had had on Friday. But there's something about being in community that lifts the heavy burden. There's something about being in a Jesus-believing community where we as a community can take on Jesus' yoke, his, his burden, which is easy and light. And I don't know where you're at today. If any of those six things that I mentioned to you about signs of burnout are ringing true, I encourage you to spend some time evaluating it and talking about it with someone. Communication verbally is the key, not like this. Not with the thumbs. Face to face. Over the phone. I encourage you, sleep. Get a good night's sleep. Take care of your body. Let out your frustration. Release it. And ask the Lord what His will is for your life. Is there something, Lord, that you've told me to do that I'm ignoring? Is there something you will me to do that I'm not doing? Refocus yourself on the Lord's will and remember and renew your mind and hope. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you that your mercies are new every day. Lord, I pray for my family here. Lord, I know I went long. I hope I didn't lose them, God. I pray, Lord, for those, those uh, souls that are battling with burnout right now, Lord, that you would uh, speak rest and comfort into their souls right now, and that, Lord, that you would encourage them to get it out, Lord, that, that to speak to someone. Father, help us to be a church that battles burnout proactively and takes seriously the revival of the simple things, the disciplines, the discipleship disciplines, God. Help us to care for one another in our lowest moments and beyond, Lord. Help us to be brothers and sisters during turmoil. Thank you for what you did for Elijah, God. And thank you that you're still capable of doing it in us today because Elijah was just a man. Father, I pray that those who need a physical touch would receive it right now. I pray those who need a 
uh, emotional or mental touch right now that the fog would be lifted in the name of Jesus. I pray for breakthrough and transformation through you, Jesus. Through you, Father God, through you, Holy Spirit. And as the ushers come forward, we'll receive our tithes and offering. God, thank you. You're so good to us. You've given us everything we have. I say it every week, but it's true. We give back to you what is already yours. In Jesus' name, amen. podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.